Welcome to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We appreciate you tuning in today and trust and pray that you're getting some help from these Bible lessons here on the Searching the Scriptures radio program. Now on this uh, this time that we have, we desire to see what the Word of God actually says, not merely what it's presumed to teach, as one great old preacher used to say. And so on this program, we encourage our listening audience to get your Bible open and follow along. We're not pulling any punches. We're not hiding anything. Uh, no, uh, no religious con artistry going on here. We simply want to point believers, and those of you tuned in, even those who may not be believers, we want you to see what the Bible actually says. And, uh, and so you can find out for yourself. You don't have to take my word for it. And I would encourage you to always check everybody that claims to speak in the name of the Lord. Why? Because the scripture says that many false prophets are gone out into the world. And we as born-again believers are commanded to try the spirits. And the only way to try something is to put it on trial and to examine it according to the truth. And the truth is the scriptures, the word of God. Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, he said these words. He said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So this week we're going to be in Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9, I encourage you to open your Bible to Joshua 9. And we're going to uh, learn some instructive lessons here and get some instruction from the Word of God through a typology, if you will. Now, what we're reading about in Joshua chapter 9, if you know your Bible, let me give you a quick overview of this. We're reading about the military conquest of the children of Israel. Moses, who led the children of Israel out of Egypt in the book of Exodus, uh, he led them out of Egypt and they ended up wandering around for 40 years in the wilderness. Moses, at this point in the Bible narrative, has died, and Joshua, his minister, has taken over as the leader of the congregation, the church in the wilderness, known as the nation of Israel. Joshua is their captain. He is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, there is no question, for those of you who study your Bible, there is no question or doubt in the mind that the nation of Israel, especially during their wilderness wanderings after they left Egypt, is a picture of of today's church. In fact, in Acts chapter 7, as Stephen uh, preaches that great message and that overview of the Old Testament, Stephen says in verse 38 of Acts chapter 7, he likens the nation of Israel to, quote, the children, I'm sorry, uh, the church in the wilderness. And so obviously, uh, the happenings, the things that took place with Joshua and the children of Israel are a picture to us today. And we're going to see that here in Joshua chapter 9. Now, bringing you more up to date, they have just had two great victories. They have uh, conquered Ai and Jericho. And in Joshua chapter 9, trouble is on the way. And a great lesson we can learn from this is the fact that after you have had some success in the Christian life, maybe a couple of victories, look out because the devil will come. And he always disguises himself. He's, he has no shortage of tricks. He's subtle. He is crafty. He is uh, deceptive. And you will have to fight him from behind the back of the Lord Jesus Christ with all the wisdom the Holy Ghost and the Bible can give you. And so here we see uh, a picture of his deceptive maneuvers and what the children of Israel are about to face. Let's begin reading together in verse 1. Joshua chapter 9, verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass when all the kings which were on this side Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys, and in all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite, the Hivite and the Jebusite heard thereof that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. A great lesson we can learn here is that the devil's crowd 
that always aligns itself against God's people can unite themselves uh, in one accord. Would to God that the people of God could get back to following the Bible and the Holy Ghost and unite ourselves together so that we could fight the enemy with unified attack. Amen. Listen, uh, your local church is supposed to be a place of unity, uh, and we're supposed to endeavor to keep the unity. And the only way we can do that is by following the Holy Ghost's lead. You still believe in that, don't you, Christian friend? The Holy Ghost lives in you, and He can and will lead you. And I'm going to tell you something. He does not lead you to cause division among the saints. Uh, that's your flesh. That's the wicked one that leads you to cause division among the saints. So cut it out and get unified. Amen. And so we can attack the enemy uh, in the the kind of with the kind of uh, attack we're supposed to. An army is supposed to attack with a unified, a coordinated effort. Would to God, God's people could get back to that. Listen, the devil's crowd here didn't have any trouble uh, uniting themselves and gathering themselves together to fight against God's people with one accord. Now, verse three. Look at it. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai, remember, two big victories, two, some great success here. The Gibeonites have heard about that. Look at verse 4. They did work wilily and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent up and bound up, and old shoes and clouded upon their feet, and old garments upon them, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy, and they went to Joshua. Now let's stop our reading right there and let me talk about this. These people are coming to deceive the children of Israel. Let me tell you something. Your enemy and my enemy is the devil, and he, he wants to deceive us. The Bible says he works very subtly. In fact, the first time we are introduced to him in the Bible narrative is in Genesis chapter 3, which says, Now the serpent of the, uh, uh, the field was uh, more subtle than any beast of the field. The serpent, I'm sorry, was more subtle than any beast of the field. And you know what he did? He beguiled that woman. And that word beguiled is defined in your King James Bible as being deceived. He deceived her. He made her think something was not what it was. He made her, he threw her perception off and he threw doubt on the word of God. And here the Bible says that these Gibeonites came and they worked wilily. Now, somebody may be saying, well, preacher, how do you know this is a picture of demonic deception toward the Christian? Well, let me show you something in verse four. Notice that the Gibeonites are desiring to deceive the children of Israel. And the scripture uses this word. The word is wilily. Later in the chapter in verse 22 we're told uh, Joshua is rebuking the Gibeonites because he says, wherefore have ye beguiled us? Now, right off the bat, those two words, beguiled and wilily, ought to give you a couple of keys to a puzzle. Those are leads, if you will, to show you something. Do you know what it shows you? The Bible says that Eve was, quote, beguiled by the serpent. In Second Timothy, I'm sorry, First Timothy chapter two, it says she was deceived. So beguiled connects you to the work of the devil. Then when you read in verse four how the Gibeonites did work wilily, that should remind you of the word in Ephesians six, where Paul is warning of the that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness and the quote wiles of the devil. Well, right away, the word beguiled and wiles shows you that you're dealing with a satanic principle here. It's a picture of how the devil would like to deceive the children of God. Because listen, after you get born again, 
by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you at Calvary, the devil cannot have your soul any longer. You've been born again by the blood of Jesus. If you're saved, you've been washed in his blood and sealed with the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. Amen. However, the devil does not just leave you alone. He won't just leave me alone because we belong to the Lord Jesus. No, his desire is to deceive you so that your life becomes ineffective in this world and you make bad choices and then have to reap uh, the consequences of the bad choices. And the devil will do all he can to deceive you in this area. And you say, well, how, how do you know what wily means? Well, think about this. You know, sometimes people complain about the King James Bible. They say, well, those are such, uh, it's a Bible full of archaic words. No, every word of God is pure and every word of God has a purpose. And when I read the word wilily, I immediately think of the wiles of the devil. So I know as I study this chapter that I'm going to learn how the devil goes about to deceive people. And you know, if you were really worried about the word wilily, you could, number one, look it up in a dictionary. Or number two, just revert back to your childhood days when you watched Looney Tunes. As I, have I got your attention now? Remember watching Bugs Bunny, those uh, classic old Warner Brothers cartoons from the 1940s and 50s? <clears throat> there was a couple of characters on there. Uh, you probably know where I'm going with this. One's name was uh, Roadrunner. And then the other one, the, his uh, nemesis was Wild E. Coyote. Now, don't turn me off here. We're going to learn something. Amen. And we're going to learn using a child's cartoon because you know something? Uh, the Bible is simple enough. The King James Bible is simple enough for a little child to understand it. Do you know what Wild E. Coyote was? He was a predator. He wanted to devour that bird. And don't ask me why. That's about the skinniest uh, nothing bird I've ever seen. Who, If he did catch it, he wasn't going to have much of a meal. Amen. But that's beside the point. I digress here. Nevertheless, he wanted to devour <clears throat> this bird. I read somewhere in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, how that we have an adversary who wants to devour us. And why did that, how did that uh, coyote go about trying to uh, devour that bird? Well, he first had to deceive him, and he was always trying to trick him, firing rockets and all this stuff, trying to drop things on him. Amen. And so what we got here, I don't have any trouble understanding the Bible. It's a bad heart that causes you to stumble over the simple words of God. These Gibeonites are coming to deceive the children of Israel, just like the devil wants to come, and he'll work wilily and try to beguile you. And so let's see some things today about this. First of all, notice that the first thing that the children of, I'm sorry, the Gibeonites do is they, in working wilily, like the devil does, they came and they offered a wrong perception. See what they did? They took old sacks upon their asses. They had wine bottles, old and rent and bound up. They had old shoes and, and uh, they had brought molded bread. It was dry and moldy. You know why? They wanted to give a perception. They wanted to make the children of Israel think a certain thing. And can I tell you that you don't need to go by the seeing of your eyes. The Bible says that we walk not, uh, we walk by faith, not by sight. Can I tell you sometimes what you see and what you perceive is is the wrong your perception is wrong you don't have all of the facts and what you think you know by what you see is totally wrong the devil will do that to you i recently preached in a missions conference and i told uh, the people of that church i said listen 
The devil wants you to think that you don't have the money, that there's no way you could give one more dollar to the work of God. And he'll remind you of things and he'll make, he'll form a, uh, an image in your mind and make you perceive that your condition is worse than it actually is. Right here, the Gibeonites are working wilily and they want to present something that's not so. So look what happens. Verse 6 says, so They went to Joshua under the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, We become from a far country. Now therefore make ye a league with us. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, Peradventure ye dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? And they said unto Joshua, We, be, we are thy servants. Verse 8, And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye, and from whence come ye? Now watch this. Verse 9, they said unto him, From a very far country thy servants are come, because of the name of the Lord thy God. For we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt. Now let's stop right there. Now the perception that Joshua and the children of Israel have is off. And uh, the first thing that Joshua does here is he asks a couple of good pointed questions, and that's good. He says, Who are ye, and whence come ye? That's, those are real simple questions, are they not? They most certainly are. But here's, here's where the deception continues because in verse 9, they don't answer either question. He basically, the answer comes this. They said, from a very far country. That didn't answer the question. He, he knows they're coming from a country somewhere, but he wants to know which one. And they go on to begin to talk about, we're coming because we've heard of the name of your God. So Joshua did not get answers to his questions. And you know something, you need to listen. When you ask questions of people, uh, wisdom will cause you to listen closely because people who are trying to deceive you will never answer plain, pointed questions. I've noticed this in dealing with con men and crooks. They never can give you, they, they seemingly weave such a crazy, wild tale, you can't even follow it. And they're hoping that they're, they're casting about the room so much smoke that you'll just say, well, okay, I can't really understand this, but I'll go ahead and do what you want me to do. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. Listen, when Pilate came out and asked that bloodthirsty crowd on the morning of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, he says, what evil hath he done? Now, that's a simple, basic, pointed question. And the crowd answered back and said this. Here's their dodge. They said, if he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him unto thee. Now, right there, that was a tip-off sign that these people were avoiding the, uh, to answer the question because Jesus Christ had done nothing wrong. And that's what Pilate had asked. He said, what evil hath he done? And they never answered him. And they said, well, if he hadn't done something wrong, we wouldn't have brought him here. That's not the answer you need. And by the way, parents, those of you who have teenagers, please listen to this part of this simple lesson. Don't believe what your kids say at face value. And listen, when you ask questions, listen carefully to their answers. Because, you know, you can, some people, uh, you can be truthful without being honest. Now, what do I mean? I mean, some kids have mastered the art of giving you only parts of the truth so as to paint a false picture in your mind. If you ask them the question after they've told you those simple uh, half-truths, if you ask them if they lied, then they could look at you and say, no, I've not lied. No, they've told you the truth, but not the whole truth. Therefore, they've not been honest. And they have only told you the truth that they want you to have so that your perception 
is off. I've had parents tell me that. Well, I just don't believe my child would lie to me. Well, he didn't specifically directly lie to you, but he wasn't honest with you. He only told you part of the story so that you would have sympathy on him because if he'd have told you uh, not just part of the truth, but the whole truth, then your decision and your response would have been greatly different. Amen. Amen. Uh, Just file that in in the back of your mind and, and kick that around a while and think on it. Joshua did not get an answer to his questions. So look what happens. Verse 12, they continue. Let's drop down to verse 12. They're answering, but they haven't answered. And they said this, they wanted to be, uh, they wanted to make a league with the children of Israel. Verse 12, they say this, this our bread we took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now behold, it is dry and it is moldy. Verse 13, and these bottles of wine which we filled were new and behold, they be rent. And these are garments and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey. Now listen, they didn't answer Joshua's question. He never did get an answer to his two questions. And number two, they keep pointing to, look here, look, can't you see how far we've come? They're trying to get them to focus in on what their eyes are seeing, their perception, the the false perception that the Gibeonites are presenting is what's going to be a major foundation to trip up the children of Israel here. And so listen, remember, church, we're to walk by faith, not by sight. The scripture says, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Don't make your decisions based on what you think you know. The Bible says that we're to trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. How many of you could testify that you made a decision based upon what you thought, how you perceived a situation? And listen, you you just you were deceived, you were duped into making the wrong decision, and therefore you have to bear the consequences now because of what you thought. Now look what happens. Look at verse 14. The men took of their vittles and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Well, here's the first mistake we've already seen. They took the seeing of their eyes, deceived them. And secondly, here's a big one. They didn't ask counsel of God, no prayer. No prayer. And I'm going to tell you something. Christians get into the greatest mistakes of their life when they go about doing things without ever bringing it to the throne of God. I could give you several examples in my own personal life where I have looked at something and said, I want to do that. That's the course of action I want to take. I, and, and in my mind, I was, was justifying it because it's what I wanted to do. And I never prayed about it. And I made a mess. I remember specifically one time I was about to do something that seemed very harmless. I was going to join a particular organization. I thought it would be a blessing. They had a, a monthly meeting and all this stuff. And I thought, this is what I'll do. I'll join this organization. It had to do with my genealogy and the fact that my relatives had fought and some of my relatives had fought in the Confederate Army. And it was all about, you know, uh, heritage and history and all these things. But uh, I, was, I had even received the paperwork to fill out to get ready to join this particular organization. And uh, I was ready to do it. And uh, I remember that one evening I, I felt just a discouragement in my spirit. And I knew something was going on, so I began to pray about it. I said, Lord, what's wrong? 
And it came to mind that, you know, I'm about to make a decision here and do something that I've never asked the Lord about. And I asked God about it that night. I said, Lord, do you not want me to join this? I can't see the harm in it. Seems simple enough, seems harmless enough. And yet when I took it to the throne of God, he showed me in my morning Bible reading the next day, don't, it was very plain, very clear. If I showed you the scriptures and explained in detail, I don't have time to do that. But if I explain that situation in detail, it's amazing the verse that God gave me in my regular reading the next morning. And immediately I got down and said, no, Lord, I will not do this. And I stopped and I did not go through with what I thought would be all right when I asked counsel at the mouth of the Lord. But I'm going to tell you something. If you don't go to God with it, you're asking for disaster. You're courting disaster. What's the old song we sing, you know, where it says, you know, uh, um, what a privilege to carry. Oh, what grief uh, we often forfeit. forfeit. Oh, what uh, a pain we often bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Listen, prayer is an outlet where God will guide us. And right here, the children of Israel show us that they are, their perception is off, their prayer life is messed up, and they make a league. Look at verse 15. Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them let, uh, to let them live, and the princes of the congregation swear unto them. Now, here's a third thing that they did. If you go back at the end of chapter 8, look back there with me. After the great victory at Ai and Jericho, look at what they did, the children of Israel. Verse 34 says, after he re- after, afterward, this was after the two victories, and this is before they met the Gibeonites. Now follow me. After the two victories, before they just met the Gibeonites here in Joshua chapter 9, it says that afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and cursings according to all that is written in the book of the law. You say, what is that? Well, if they read all of the cursings and the blessings, do you know what that means? That means they read this verse. It means that they had read in the law of God, in Exodus 34, verse 12, the scripture plainly says, Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. God, not only had they had just read that in the Bible, the Bible says, take heed. And I'm going to tell you, brethren, when the Bible says, take heed, that means pay attention, pay attention, warning, listen to this, take heed to it, hold on to it, think about it, let it guide you. And the Bible specifically said, do not make covenants, agreements, or leagues with these people in the land that you're about to take. And you know something that tells me? That tells me how quick they had forgotten the word of God. Not only was their perception off because they had been deceived uh, by how, it, how things appeared, but then they were prayerless. They didn't ask counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And thirdly, they had ignored a plain, uh, precious verse of the word of God. The Bible had told them in plain terms, you don't have to pray actually about these things. And I'm not saying it's wrong to pray. Uh, I, I'm not saying that it is wrong to pray these situations. What I'm saying is you don't have to pray about something when you have a clear command from God. They had totally forgotten all of the words they had just read. And they had just read it. How many times have you made a decision that was absolutely contrary to a plain statement of the word of God. And can I tell you something? When you make decisions, I don't care how small they are, that trample over the word of God, you are courting disaster. 
You know something I have found in Christians? I've found that when people get right with God and get in church and start going forward for the Lord, many times I have sat down within the year of someone actually getting plugged in and going on for their Lord, and they come to me somewhat perplexed. And they say, I don't understand. Uh, you know, when I wasn't living for God, when I was in my backslidden condition, it seemed like the, everything was fine. But now that I'm right with God and wanting to live for my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, it seems like that everything's against me. It seems like my life is falling apart. And I will often remind them of this. There's a great truth in the New Testament in Galatians chapter 6, uh, verse uh, 7 through 10. And it's the classic in verse 7 where it says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And can I tell you something, that if you live away from the Word of God as a saved person for any length of time, and you begin to make decisions in your life based upon how you feel and against the plain instructions of the Word of God, can I tell you something? You're going to have a nasty crop to reap because you are sowing to your flesh. You're sowing uh, things that are going to come up later, and you have to unload those ships when they come in. And listen, it's not because God is making your life miserable, but it's just that the devil, as soon as he sees one of God's children get right with him and start heading in his direction, the devil calls in the reaping. And he calls in the crop. And all of a sudden, you're standing at the dock, and the ships you sent out years ago begin to come in. And God says, all right, it's time for us to unload them. And you have to unload crates of trash and, and rotten fruit and regrets, and sorrows, and heartaches, and messes. But listen, that's not what God's doing. That's the wages of sin. That's what you get for doing things your way rather than God's way. And listen, I don't have time to take you there this, uh, today, but I'm going to tell you this. You ought to study sometime uh, over in, I believe it's in First Samuel, or maybe Second Samuel chapter 21, where... Hundreds of years later, this bad decision that the children of Israel made because they were deceived by the Gibeonites, listen, God held them to their decision. When they made a league, that peace treaty with the Gibeonites, God would not allow them to, to harm one hair on their head. And later on, it cost some Jews their lives because King Saul had gotten overzealous and he killed some Gibeonites. And God, uh, listen, God held that nation hundreds of years later to what they had said and that, that treaty they had made so many years before with the Gibeonites. And I'm going to tell you something. Nobody can estimate, as the preacher said, no one can ever estimate the consequences of a bad decision. Quit sowing to the flesh. Quit doing things your way. The Bible says, All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned everyone to his own way. And I'm going to tell you something. That phrase, own way, that's where the problem comes in. Listen, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they did their own thing, independent of God. And what did it do? Listen, there's no way that Adam could have ever imagined what he was about to introduce to the human race. The Bible says, for by one man sin entered the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Listen, sin and death are in the world because one man decided to work independently and act independently of what his creator said. A simple command. And I'm going to tell you something. You better watch your perception. We walk by faith, not by sight. 
You better not be prayerless. You better bring everything before the throne of God. You better ask counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And thirdly, you better obey those promises in the Bible. The children of Israel failed on all three fronts and therefore made a terrible decision that, and the consequences of their decision followed them for years. And I'm going to tell you something, Christian friend. You cannot afford to ignore God, to ignore His Word, to ignore prayer, or to allow yourself to be deceived by the devil when he says, well, this is your situation. No, my friend, you walk by faith. Get a hold of what God says and pray about everything. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Listen, Christian friend, God wants to give you the victory and he wants to work through you. Those of you that know Jesus Christ as your Savior, walk by faith and be ever aware of your adversary, the devil, who walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The only defense you've got is the word of God and prayer and a lovely Savior that lives in your heart by faith. May God help you to keep from being deceived. And I hope that this program has been a help to you. Till next time, may the Lord bless you as you serve him.